Tahoraki Gulf Marine Park ko te pātaka kai o Tikapa Moana, te Moana Nui Atoi, is 1.2 million hectares in size with more than 40 pest-free islands and six marine reserves. This seascape lies on the east coast of the Tāmaki Makoto and Waikato regions, stretching down to the eastern coastline of the Coromandel Peninsula to Waihi. Kia ora, I'm Kiane Matatasipu, the host of Hauraki Gulf Kōrero, a podcast established by the Hauraki Gulf Forum. Here you will be introduced to Kaitiaki of Te Moana Nui Atoi, Tikapa Moana, to discuss the state of the Gulf and explore the many ways in which these groups and individuals are taking action to achieve a healthy, thriving marine environment. Ah, tēnā koutou and welcome back to another episode of Hauraki Golf Kōrero. Today on the podcast we have Nicola McDonald and Muk Honak. Tēnā kōrua. Uh, as we do, we love to start with learning a little bit about who it is we're speaking to and your connection to the moana. So may I please ask, maybe Muk, you can go first. Ko kwe, who are you? And what is your connection to the Hauraki Gulf, te moana nui o toi? Uh, kia ora tātou, nga mihi mahana ki a koutou katoa i tēnei wā i te mōti nei. Uh, nga mihi manaki tiaki i tēnei wā o tātou mātou tūpuna. Uh, kia ora everyone, my name is Mokhonek, I'm Ngāti Manuri, Ngāti Rehu and Ngāti Wai um, and deeply uh, associated with Hauturu and the surrounding environs and uh, also our rohi of Ngāti Manuri from Takapuna in the south to uh, Te Arae, Mangawhai in the north. Kia ora tātou. Tēnā koe. Now, Nicola, probably a lot of people who listen to this podcast will know who you are uh, through your mahi with the Hauraki Golf Forum, but could you please explain to us a little bit more about your mahi and your uh, whakapapa connection to this rohi? Ai, kia ora. Uh, ko motu tōhora i whakakoha tūnai te taitonga, ko nga taratara o toe te huatahi te taitokirau. Ko motu rangi āhua te taihawaruru. Ko kai toke kai hotu te tai rāwhiti. Hiraki mata te maunga tapu wainganui. Ko te moana nui o toi te huatahi te moana. Ko te mauri, ko tu kaiaia, ko te tuatara nga kaitiaki. Ko kawa, ko motairehi, ko whananaki nga marae. Ko rehua, ko ranginui, ko te awe nga tūpuna. Ko nga te rehua, te hapu. Ko Ngāti Wai Te Iwi, Te Hei Mauriora, Ko Nicola MacDonald Ahau. Well, it's uh, wonderful to be here and um, my whakapapa connections, um, I'm a direct descendant of Ngāti Wai. We are a coastal sea-going people. Our uh, Moana stretches from um, Te Motu Kōkāko, which most people would know today as the hole in the rock in the Bay of Islands, and comes all the way down to Motu Tōhora, uh, which is uh, a small little island off the uh, in the southern end of um, Aotea, um, and comes um, and stretches across to all the rocky outcrops and islands of which the Mokohino, Hauturu o Toi, and the beautiful coastline of the Mahurangi. And it's a pleasure to be here today. And uh, I love uh, Tumuana Nui o Toi. I love being a descendant of the sea. Uh, it is um, seawater runs in my veins. And so <laughs> it's a pleasure to, uh, again to have this kōrero with everybody. Kia ora, tēnā koe. Now, Mok, you mentioned in your introduction that uh, you have a whakapapa too and do a lot of mahi in and around Hauturu, Hauturu o Toi. Can you tell me a little bit about that motu? Where did it get its name? Uh, we are calling it by its Māori ingoa, but some people might know it better as Little Barrier. Can you tell me a bit about the whakapapa of that motu? Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, Hauturu o Toi uh, is, very, is an iconic uh, place, I guess, whenua, um, Motutere, Rungunui, uh, for us as Ngāti Manuhiri, Ngāti Reva, Ngāti Wai people. Um, over many, many years, uh, it has a deep and a, um, and a spiritual connection to us as, as who we are as people, who we are as an iwi. Uh, the name, the origins of the name Hauturu Toi came from the, uh, the famous uh, Māori navigator, uh, Toi Tuhuatahi, uh, on his journeys from uh, Rangiatia, and the, the Hauraki, the winds of the north, on his way down here to, um, to Aotearoa, and he discovered um, 
Aotearoa Toy, giving it that name when he stopped there. The, the, the island itself is a, a place of huge uh, gatherings over, over hundreds of years. Obviously, uh, for those that um, know where it is positioned in, in the Moana, um, our tribes and our whanaunga up and down the coast from Tairawhiti, from Ngāpui, in the north to Tairawhiti and the south have travelled up and down the Moana Nui Otoi and have visited the island, Hauturu, at different times, uh, sometimes in peace, sometimes in, in war. And then in the, um, in the mid-1600s, uh, late 1600s, our tūpuna Manuhiri, along with uh, his father, uh, led by his father, Maki Nui, and uh, Maki Nui's brother, Matahu, is the father of Rehua, Ngāti Rehua, um, in their journey, in their own journey, coming from Kafia and up into Tamaki and into the Kaipara and then over to the east coast and then out to the, out to the offshore islands, um, visited Hauturu and journeyed to Hauturu and uh, Ropatud Hauturu of the, um, of the original inhabitants that were there at the time and then also out to Aotea. Um, and obviously Ngāti Rehua, um, and I'm sure Nicole will talk about this as later today, are firmly entrenched on Aotea and on Hauturu alongside Ngāti Manuhiri. Um, the island uh, became very, um, I guess, uh, huge controversy over the island when the Crown at the time in the mid-1800s wanted to purchase the island. Um, there was five native court hearings over the acquisition of the island um, by the Crown and in determining in the determining of the ownership of the island, it was fiercely fought for by the the descendants of our tūpunas uh, of Ngāti Manuhiri and Ngāti Rehua, who were Ngāti white people, uh, with their relations and their whanaunga that were on the mainland at the time. Um, uh, and as uh, descendants of the tribes that are still here on the mainland today. So they were the descendants of the Kawaro uh, grouping of peoples, and obviously Ngāti Manuhiri um, uh, come from descent from the Kawaro groupings, from the sons of Maki and, um, and Matahu, and so does uh, Ngāti Rehua. So there was this, you saw the Pākehā system, I guess, uh, the native land court at the time, bring about two groups of Māori, uh, contesting the ownership, which led to five highly contested court cases that went back and forwards four times until the final court case in the Native Land Court ascertained that the ownership belonged to the Ngāti Wai people mm. uh, and named those people uh, through mm. um, that trial. The, uh, there was two uh, major figures in that, um, two or three major um, turning points, I guess, in, in the ownership of Hauturu at that time. And that was uh, those uh, Fano and those people and those tūpunas of ours that actually occupied the island and were living um, and sustaining an existence from the island, from its natural resources. And they, that was um, uh, led by Tenatai, our tūpuna, and his wife Rahui and their children and um, their Ngāti um, their Ngāti wife Whanaunga, their Ngāti Rehua Whanaunga, who Nicola will touch on, um, being the Hurtupuna from Ngāti Rehua. And they fought long and hard um, to actually maintain the ownership of Hauturu. They won their case, uh, although they won their case in court and the uh, Crown awarded the ownership to the Ngāti Wai, Ngāti Rehua, Ngāti Manuri individuals and their people. Um, we were evicted off there, although we won the ownership, uh, we were evicted off there by the Crown who actually turned it into um, conservation to a reserve uh, to protect at that time some species of birds. Um, our people never left willingly. They were, um, um, the, mili the military and constables were sent out in boats and uh, evicted our people off and then our whares and that were burned to the ground that were there on the island at that time. Um, so I guess it's been a beacon, it's been a beacon for us as a people. I know especially for Ngāti Manuri and Ngāti who are the mana whenua for Hauturu, it's been a beacon that's burnt very, very bright and those flames were lit um, hundreds of years ago. 
And um, we've never let that go. We've kept those fires burning on that island. We've kept the fight up. I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to be a, a negotiator for the Ngāti Manuri settlement uh, claims um, alongside uh, my cousin at that time, our rangatira Lali Haddon. And uh, we uh, fought and, and uh, negotiated with the Crown to get Hauteru back for all of our people. So um, it's been very contentious. Um, what we wanted from the Crown throughout our negotiations was the uh, Crown to actually acknowledge that uh, those Ngāti wire owners that were proved, that proved their ownership in the, uh, in the Pākehā process uh, were acknowledged as owners, acknowledged as mana whenua there, and we wanted the Crown in today's terms to acknowledge that uh, we were mana whenua and to actually, uh, so we could take that back to our people. It was a grievance that, that our people had always um, had a mamai about, felt very um, uh, down on that. It was a grievance that we held close to our heart about Hauteru and how the Crown had treated us. So out of the treaty claim came a process that actually um, actually eliminates some of the uh, um, some of the grievance, I guess. Um, although we uh, can't forgive, I think uh, the corridor of our rangatira uh, at that time was we can forgive, but we never forget because the future generations need to actually um, carry on with the struggle and carry on for the right thing. So Hotel has been a beacon, it's been an iconic place for us as, as a people. Um, we will be putting our marae net back up on, on Hauturu um, and put our kāinga back in place so that our rangatahi and that can all, can all go there and wānanga there and, and hear the stories. It's a spiritual place. It's a place that has uh, we have a love, love and adoration for. Um, and I guess it's, it's uh, one of the modis, if you like, that keep us keep us proud and, and shape us to who we are and shape the future generations of our rangatai. Mm. And it's up for us as Ngāti Manuri people to actually uphold that, uphold the mana there and share with the, the rest of the world, the rest of New Zealand. Um, you'll note that in our negotiations, we uh, gifted the island um, um, back after receiving the ownership for, um, uh, for a number of days. Uh, we gifted it back to the nation. We never gifted it back to the Crown. We gifted it back to the nation of Aotearoa to all of the people because it was the, through the Crown's doing that they took it off us. So our thinking, our whakaaro around that as, as Ngāti Manuri was, well, we're, we're not going to acknowledge the Crown as the owners. We're, we're going to acknowledge that it needs to be shared with the rest of the world and certainly the rest of Aotearoa. And we, we along with Ngāti Reho, will be the kaitia of that. So... Mm. I I love that there are already future plans for a marae and, and kōrero around um, how the rangatahi will get involved and we will get into that kōrero soon. Nicole, I wanted to ask you, Mook's given us um, such a rich history around that motu and I want to talk a little bit about the present and my partai to you is what is your current well, what is your view of the current state of the Gulf? When we think about just this little part of history with this specific motu, what do you think about the state of Te Mwananui at the moment? Mm. Well, that's a big question. Um, at the moment, um, I think the first thing is, uh, how do we couch this in, um, in Te Ao Māori? Um, for Ngāti Rehua, we believe there are over 56 uh, outlying islands and rocky outcrops spread right across Te Moana Nui o Toi, Te Kapa Moana. Um, we believe that the waters, the ocean, uh, is the single living entity that connects all of those uh, islands and rocky outcrops. When we think of it in that, in that space, um, we then look at what is the modi of the water itself. How how um, how healthy? Uh, how healthy is the ocean? Um, how healthy is everything that sits underneath it? And um, we have seen, um, and Natirihua and many of our communities have seen uh, for the past twenty years and, and more um, a slowly declining uh, moana, 
the degradation, uh, the collapsing of natural ecosystems are collapsing. And these affect not only the ocean on the sea floor, all of the Tonga contained within those waters and all of the islands, the rocky outcrops, the communities that live adjacent. Uh, so the state of the Gulf, um, as we see it now, is at the most critical point that it can be at. And uh, we really need to look at uh, uh, what do we have to do to come together uh, to ensure that we start incorporating restorative and um, adaptive uh, management and customary systems. Uh, we are in the midst of political change for the Hauraki Gulf for Tumuana Nui Atoi. Um, but with political change also comes the impetus that we need to continue with the momentum around protection. And we have seen uh, very recently, the Crown has introduced uh, sea change, the Marine Spatial Plan. It is a step forward in the right direction, but there is so much more that needs to be done. When um, so much more needs to be done to ensure the single living entity, Te Moana Nui o Toi, Te Kapa Moana, continues to thrive, and that the Modi is actually an active living Modi rather than a diminished Modi. Mm. When we look at Modi, when we look at a Tao Māori perspective on our Taiao, everything is interconnected. The the modi of the moana, the modi of the motu, and the modi of the tangata are all connected. So if one is unwell, the other is unwell. But when we look at the way uh, a Pākehā Western system protects these spaces, they're not necessarily interconnected in the same way. And so if we look at Hauturu, for example, we have 100% of the whenua protected, but we don't yet have 100% of the moana protected. I know that uh, Ngāti Manuhiri Ngāti Rehu are looking to change that. So can you tell me a little bit about how you are working to protect uh, the moana around the motu, particularly in the um, close, you know, close region and, and location of Hauturu? Mm. Well, you know, the first thing is... Um, is when we consider Hauturu or Toi, it is the nexus of who we are as uh, Ngāti Rehua, Ngāti Manuhiri, Ngāti white people. Uh, it is named um, after um, our famous navigator, Toi uh, Te Huatahi. The land itself, uh, the mutu, is, uh, has been pest-free for um, over 20-plus years mm. now. Um, and through the, um, through the decisions made um, by our leaders of that time, which included a full pest eradication program, uh, Hauturu or Toi has a thriving Indigenous biodiversity and ecosystems right now on the island. That means that there are no pests, there are no rats, stoats, cats on the island that impact on, um, on our natural taonga species. It means that our taonga species are thriving. But the same cannot be said for the moana, the seas adjacent to Hauturu mm. Toy. Underneath the water, we have mass Kinnabarans. We have a desolation unseen anywhere else. We have um, the, the marine habitats and ecosystems that should be thriving by right, by rights through our treaty, um, treaty of Waitangi guaranteed to us under Article 2. Those rights have not been explored and they have not been activated in the Moana itself. So for Ngāti Rehua and Ngāti Manuhiri, being that we are seagoing people, we are stacking a stand and we are saying the work and care, the tiakina, the manaki, the afina that we give to our whenua, so too do we have a responsibility to give that to our moana. Mm. And that will mean ensuring that the customary rights and associations around the whole of to Te Hauturu or Toi, that marine protection is afforded and guaranteed to Te Hauturu or Toi because it is our island's treaty rights. 
It is the rights of our people, Ngāti Rehua, Ngāti Manuhiri, and future generations and all peoples of New Zealand to know that the marine environment is well, it is kei te ora, te ora nui. When we look at what that looks like in a practical sense and when we look at decision makers and how they're making decisions in and around the protection of the moana, uh, I go to the revitalising the Gulf plan and central government have proposed in that plan um, a marine and seafloor protection. What does that look like? What does a marine and seafloor protection look like and is that enough? Well, on one element, um, the Hauraki Gulf Forum called for 30% marine protected areas for the whole of the Hauraki Gulf. Uh, that is international basic standards. Um, through the Sea Change Marine Spatial Plan, um, if we remove the cable zone um, and focus only on the marine, uh, true marine protected areas, we will see going uh, right now we're at around just under 1%, um, it will move up to 5%. If we include the cable zone, which looks uh, which sits on top of the seafloor, then that will bring marine protection up to 17%. It is still not enough. Mm. We want 30% and more. But as I said earlier, it is a start. Look, I want to come back to you because in your corridor talking about the history of the motu, you talked about the future and you talked about uh, the plan for a marae, the plan for a kainga, but most importantly, the plan around rangatahi and getting rangatahi involved around the motu and, and planning for that better marine future. Why is it so important to ensure that our rangatahi are involved and how are you guys getting them involved? The, the big concern for us, uh, for the future of our rangatahi, is, is the, I guess, is the speed or the deprivation of the Gulf itself. Mm. So, Modi doesn't belong in a business case. The Modi, as we see it, uh, on the, in the, within the moana, within all of the marine environment and within the moana, is totally different. It doesn't belong in any business case or any commercial case. For our rangatahi to to have a place to go such as Hauturi, which is such iconic in their history and in the makeup and the very fabric of who we are, Ngāti Manuri, Ngāti Rehua, Ngāti Wai people. We want them to go there, we want them to have our marae net there where we can wānanga net with them, but we want, we our wish is to have an MPA area of the like that is not, is not restrictive, but it protects and enhances the surroundings, the environment, the moana right around the island so our goal is that we take our rangatahi to the to Hauturu or Toi. They can get a kaimuana there. They can fish off there. They can hear the purako kōrero. They can hear the waiata the waiata and all the oriores. We can teach them in Wānanganam, but they will always be able to go to their home, their ancestral home, simply and provide and sustain themselves from the island, only while they're on the island. Mm. So the rangatahi... The rangatahi, it's hard for us to actually explain to our rangatahi if we don't have the modi of the moana and the living species within the, that environment to actually talk to them, to wānanga them about the Pacific cultural uh, narrative in and around the species of fish that are there, the species of the kaimoana that's there, the currents, the winds, everything that impacts, impacts on us as a people and helps and protects us and guides us within our very fabric. We need those surroundings to be as natural as possible. And I think that's a good thing for all New Zealanders. Um, it's uh, it's not negotiable. Ngāti Manuhiri is not negotiable for us to keep destroying our environs. Mankind will destroy it if we let if we allow that to happen. And it's our, our job as the kaitiaki, our role and our very life force within ourselves to actually, to actually stop that happening. And we, we will support the, the Crown, we will support any means that actually protects that environment mm. and, and sustains that environment. And if that's an MPA area right around the island, bring it on. 
Mm. I think one of the other things too is that, um, you know, both Ngāti Rihua and Ngāti Manuhiri, uh, we have a, um, a quite a young uh, youth population. Uh, so, um, you know, just under uh, 50% of our uh, memberships for both respective hapu um, are under the age of 21. Uh, so, you know, having and including rangatahi to be part of the decision-making, part of the strategies is really important for us because we have a growing youth population and we know that this, the success of what we do today will rest with them. And um, and we're really excited about this, that this is a great opportunity for our young people to uh, develop the sense of kaitiakitanga, but also to see that these are also long-time, lifetime choices that are available to them. Mm. Are you finding rangatahi interested? Because there's one thing, we, you know, there's one thing of us wanting rangatahi to get involved and there's another thing as to whether rangatahi do want to get involved. Are they becoming more interested in this kaupapa? Are they interested in going to the motu and learning these um, skills? And, and why well, I suppose the the knowledge and the tikanga of our tupuna in and around how to look after our taiao, mm. uh, are you finding that they're hungry for that? Oh, you know, very, very hungry, absolutely. <laughs> you know, a lot of our um, our young ones, our, uh, our rangatahi that live on Aotea, um, you know, they lead a very natural life. Um, there's no reticulated water and uh, power systems over there. So um, they're very much one with, uh, with nature and uh, they love being in the outdoors. Um, we have a very big uh, rangatahi ropu um, that has been running for some years now and um, and the membership of the ropu and interests are quite varied and diverse but one of the things um, that they're all keen on is that they're very keen around how do you protect the whenua and the moana mm. um, and they've recently just um, held a large marine um, event on Altia. Um, which um, they invited a number of different agencies to really put to them, uh, this is how we see the future. And the future is around how do we protect all of our natural taonga. For, for our rangatahi, the Ngāti Manuhiri rangatahi, we're pan-tribal, like most iwi, so our, our rangatahi live all around the motu and some mm. overseas. The... Um, we have five regional parks within our Rohi and two marine reserves and this iconic um, motu, hauturu or toy that all of our rangatahi know about and want to visit and actually want to actually, um, you know, fulfil their dreams about getting out there. And obviously, um, I guess resources-wise, and that over many, many years, there hasn't been enough resources or availability um, provided for our rangatahi to visit the, the island. But Manuhiri are very forward-thinking in conservation and actually, um, and that, as I pointed out, five regional parks, uh, two marine reserves, and hopefully another couple out in front of an our moana. There's no other iwi or, or um, hapu within, especially in the, in the North Island, that have that much uh, community, uh, I suppose, community area for all of uh, all of the community to enjoy. So our rangatahi uh, Biting at the biting at the bit to actually get out onto the island and, and actually, and it, there's this phenomenon with Manuhiri and Rehua too. Rehua are the guardians, um, I guess, of the Moana. Mm. You know, they still have the ancient corridor around the currents and around the fishing grounds. They don't need fish finders. They don't have any of that. And Manuhiri, whereas our tribe has become pan-tribal, I think the advantage that our relations, our phenomenon that Ngāti Rehua have. Uh, by a lot of their people still living on the island, those rangatahi can help their cousins and their Pananga Manuhiri rangatahi that have been pan-tribal. So we see this as a really beautiful way to nurture our rangatahi together too. Kia so, ora. Mm, definitely. Kia ora. And looking at the wider landscape, and you just talked about, you know, the number of marine parks and the number of reserves that are in and around this wider rohe, what are some of the other initiatives 
that these iwi, these hapu are undertaking in the wider part of the rohe. So I know that there's, uh, we had a little bit of kōrero earlier around kūtai restoration in Mahurangi, around uh, sand mining uh, in Pākiri. Can you can you share with me um, some of the other things that are taking place around the wider rohe and what you guys are doing to try and support and stop and <laughs> react and respond to them? Oh, I think first, first for the yeah. sand mining, um, um, the sand the sand mining is is uh, within the Rohi or Nati Manuhiri, and obviously we have big concerns about that because of the um, we believe the damage that the uh, extraction of offshore sand mining does on the on the shoreline, on the sand dunes, on the um, and obviously on the Mori and of the Wairu of the sand. The sand to us, the Onu or Pakiri, the shining sands of Pakiri. Sand has been a Modi and a, a mana-enhancing uh, element for us as a people, the Ngāti Manuri people that live on the shores and in the kāingas of Pākiri up and down our coastline. So we look at the sand uh, and what it brings to the shoreline and what it brings actually within with the, the bird life and the seabirds and that, that nest within those sand dunes and within that environs. And we believe that the uh, extraction of sand, offshore sand mining, is, is depriving and damaging that environment and depriving the Māori of those manu and of those taonga that to actually attract them to the whenua of manuhiri. So the sand mining, we're against offshore sand mining. Um, we, uh, we oppose any consent for offshore sand mining and the interconnectedness, it's 24 kilometres across the water from Hauturu to Pākiri uh, approximately. There's an interconnectedness there, as we said earlier, within the Moana, within the, the whenua. The whenua doesn't stop at the water's edge. The whenua carries on underneath the water and connects the hauturu. Mm. So we, whatever we're doing on at Pākiri Beach and the sand mining is impacting on the Modi of hauturu and we're mm. connected to rehua. So mm. this interconnectedness can't be broken and we won't let it be broken by the events or the distraction um, or the... Or the uh, I guess, of the mining of the sand, uh, in particular in Whanapākiri. So um, the muscle restoration and the like, that's another way of restoring, I guess, um, uh, the life back into the uh, into the, uh, the moana. But one thing I'd like to, Nicola will have more to talk about that, but one thing I'd like to say there is that um, we really get annoyed with some of the, I guess, the rules and the legislation that stops us actually populating um the Moana space with muscle, and this for this as an example, um, as quick as we can do that and a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. But the legislation and um, and I guess agencies and that slow that down. So uh, when we see that there's no need to do that, when you when a when a muscle one kutai filters 400 liters of seawater a day, you wonder why we have any legislation that stops us and slows it down. So um, I'll hand it over to Nicola to mm. talk about the muscle stuff. But. Kia ora, Milk. Yeah, so um, Ngāti Manuhiri have uh, really been leading out um, significantly in and around the advocacy um, for protection. And, um, and Milk has touched on the sand mining um, issues and uh, they've they've opposed uh, that uh, particular resource consent which is being reviewed at the moment uh, because of the major detrimental impacts it will have on the the sea floor and the coastlines adjacent to it. But one of the really exciting things that they've been doing is around uh, the uh, mussel shellfish beds and um, and again uh, that's that's actually included uh, relationships with other like-minded stakeholder groups, such as the um, the University of Auckland's Institute of Marine Science. Um, so, working closely hand in hand with uh, with science um, to restore the um, the oxygen into uh, into the sea. Um, we know that mussel kūtai uh, act as a natural filtration system. Uh, we know that where we're facing. Um, really uh, desolate um, underwater marine habitats um, by sowing um, kūtai um, actually provides a better opportunity to grow juvenile fishes and to regrow those habitats. The thing that stops 
um, community and mana whenua, hapu and iwi um, from actually carrying out these uh, very simple, simple techniques of restoration is regulations such as MPI fisheries um, and all of those biosecurity measures. And um, we were aware of um, a very a, a great community group, the Nature Conservancy Trust, uh, wanting to actually have uh, kūtai from uh, right across the Hauraki Marine Park. Uh, but they uh, they were quite challenged by the bureaucracy. So our sort of message is uh, when bureaucracy gets in the way of adaptive and restorative management, we need some type of trigger to relook at that mm. and to reconsider um, the state and the, the state of the Gulf is it, um, is it more adversely affected by not doing anything, allowing things to happen as they are? Yes. So we need to put a measure in place to actually re, uh, to turn that around. And I would certainly want to see, particularly down in um, where our whanaunga are in the Coromandel area, the Firth of Thames, um, the catchment areas of uh, Matamata Piako, um, all of those areas that are really dealing with mass sedimentation, we know that mussel shellfish beds actually will help and assist the better quality of the water there. Mm. I'm glad you talked about bureaucracy as well. I'd written a note while um, <laughs> while you were talking to to make a point about that because it just seems there are so many amazing initiatives that iwi and hapu across this coastline uh, have the passion, the ability, the energy to do but then get stopped at some point along the way because of bureaucracy and a, a certain box or a piece of paper or whatever stops that from happening. Yet, if we give the mana to these iwi, these hapu, to look after their rohe moana, to go ahead with the initiatives that they know work, we could actually see a restoration of the Gulf so much quicker and in a much more connected way because, of course, iwi hapu will be able to talk across to each other to ensure that those whanaunga down in the Coromandel as well as those up this end of closer to Tāmaki um, are able to support each other through those as well. The other thing I picked up in, in both of your corridor is this idea around conflicting values and mm -hmm. that, you know, one... Um, one group wanting to mine sand because they value what that sand is going to create at the other end and one group wanting to prevent that from happening because they value what that sand does right now here and the importance that it has as it is. And I wanted to just ask you both around those conflicting values because you both work in spaces where you do have to not necessarily... Um, find a compromise, but you do have to see what these other people are wanting to do and then, of course, what your people are wanting to do and try and figure out a way forward. Mm. And it's quite difficult when you're working in government or governance spaces and you have those conflicting values um, presented to you. How do you... How do you work with that? How do you deal with that? Is it something that we need to get a bit harder on moving forward? That we need to possibly, as, as the we Māori, stop being so nice around the conversations? <laughs> What's the answer? I think for myself, there's some of the answers already there. So if we use sand as the example, um, currently 60,000 cubic metres of sand comes in every year into New Zealand from overseas. Mm. Uh, there's more than enough sand uh, on shore base which can be monitored and, um, and uh, guided uh, uh, for use for, uh, for construction or whatever they want to use it for. So there's resources available um, on shore as opposed to uh, uh, in the marine environment. The, um, the message about the, um, I guess, um, the conflict with the commercial outcome uh, that people may have, uh, as opposed to actually a conservation or, or a um, or a cultural outcome, is the fish, the marine environment. Uh, I mean, uh, former minister Shane James was um, 
you know, um, communicating a couple of weeks ago, talking about aquaculture and aqua, you know, fishing and fish farms and all of that. That's where we need to go. If we if we overfishing, which we are, doesn't matter which way you look at it, we, we do, we're taking the predators of the kinners and everything out of the uh, mm. sea. So there's other means available and other commercial means available, such as fish farming, aquaculture farming, that the Crown and agencies of the like need to look at their business cases in and around that. And so there's other opportunities that we already know about, but we're not pursuing hard enough to say that it actually frees up that space that Nicola talked about earlier. Uh, then we can free that space up in the marine environment and go from 17% or 30% to 50%. So the the crown and the agencies, uh, for me, um, there is a solution, and the solution is already there in front of us. We just need to actually get the legislation in that done, and get the powers that be, and all speaking together and going the right way. Because Māori, we need to be more proactive as Māori. Mm. Uh, we have to have a, we need a bigger and a, and a larger voice, if you like. But we need to actually uh, communicate that and work together with Western science and Western. Uh, I guess, um, moderation um, and work through with our own tikanga and our own mātauranga-based uh, principles and get it done. Stop having a talk fest about it and start working. Mm. Um, and we're prepared to do that because if, no, if Western science and the rest of New Zealand is not going to work with us, Article 2, such as the treaty, we as hapu, as tangata whenua, as Māori, will pick, pick the... Uh, pick the gauntlet up and we'll just go on our own mm. and we'll make it happen. So that's that's that's, that's what I'm suggesting. Yeah, I think um, when we look at conflict um, and around um, how you measure and, and you judge that, in a lot of ways, um, as tribal leaders, when you assume responsible leadership that is community-driven, then you're always met with a greater success. And... Um, and not uh, not forgetting that part of that um, community drive also includes the responsibility that we have as kaitiaki for te taiao. So the voice, uh, the voices of our natural world must be represented by who we are as Māori to ensure that the impacts are either eliminated or they must be minimised to such a great extent. Um, and we are always going to be challenged when we're living in the 21st century for commercial and economic drivers. Those challenges to ensure that we power up the country, we are developing infrastructure at the expense of te moana nui o toi. So to do that, we will drain and vacuum out the sand so we can turn that into concrete. Uh, we will have uh, we will consider granting consents to have floating car parks on the Hauraki Gulf. We will consider granting consents for landfills and next to natural water sources that will then at the headlands will feed into the Kaipara Harbour. When we start thinking of the 21st century economic drivers and place those as the highest priority, then we are not responsible leaders. We are not representing the voices of Te Taio. And that is when we must stop and check ourselves. Mm. I want to ask you both about the future and what the what the future of the Hauraki Gulf, Te Kapa Moana, Te Moana Nui Otoi in particular looks like from your perspective. We've talked about the history. We've talked about the current state. We've talked about some of the issues uh, that are happening in and around the marine environment at the moment. Let's move to the dream, <laughs> the, the goodness. What do you see as the future of this rohe moana and how close are we to achieving it? Well, for me, the, the dream is that we still have an environment that all of our future generations can enjoy, can understand, uh, can actively participate within uh, that environment. And, and that environment, the, the moana itself, actually has the marine species that we all know that live and breathe within that environment. Um, 
the way the rate that we're going um, within the uh, just using the Hodaki Gulf as as the example, there'll be no species. There'll be very a shortage of marine uh, life and species for the future generations of all of our children and for all of New Zealanders, the rest of the world to enjoy. The the um, the number of recreational fishing uh, of boats and water traffic that is going is just escalating out of control within the marine space. Um, we've just uh, you know we've just seen the government of the day talk about uh, putting taxes and that on on uh, different vehicles and that to bring um, other types of vehicles in there that are going to save um, you know look after the environment. Well, we need to start looking at some of those measures of, across. Boats and, and and how much boat traffic and, and traffic that is on on the marine space. Um, I want I want my mukopuna to be able to go out go out and actually see see the fish. If it gets to a time when we can't catch the fish, at least I want my mukopuna to be able to see the fish. Mm. The way it's all going, the way the environment's going, my mukopuna won't even be able to see a fish because some of the species are getting to, to the uh, extreme end of, of surviving. So it's one thing for everyone to say we should always be able to catch a fish, but we should always be able to, to see nature, be able to actually appreciate nature, and to see those Tonga species of our tupunas still there in a natural environment. So that's my wish, and that's what I hope we can achieve. Um, and a small part that we play in this generation, I'm hoping that the future generations take the challenge up, and the species are still there for all of our people to enjoy. Kia mm. ora, mm. I absolutely agree with your kōrero there. I think the, you know, the wish that I have is, you know, for many in the world at large, they'll only ever see bodies of water, uh, rivers and straits and an ocean. But for us, water is, and the ocean is intrinsic to who we are. Uh, you know, the wish that I have is that the natural world continues to thrive. Te Moana Nui o Toi is the seabird capital of the world. I want to see the ocean filled with seabirds. Mm. I want to see the um, the red-eye hapuka, that it is streaming for kilometres straight back up to Mokahino. The Brutus whales are coming up through Whangaparapara on the western coast of Aotea, ready to head off to the Kumarik Islands to be looked after by our whanaunga, Ngāti Kuri and our northern relations. I want to see that scallops are full for the plentiful and enjoyment of our relations in Ngāti Hei. Uh, I want to see that our mana whenua are in are in a position that they are asserting their customary rights and associations, the indigenous ways of practice that have served our people for centuries. For centuries, it has served us as te iwi Māori. And I want to see that those practices are part and parcel of the restorative and adaptive management that we need to tackle for this century, so that as Mook says, our future mukapuna, our mukapuna of today, can enjoy the natural world in its truest sense. Kia ora. I wanted to finish us in a different way that we haven't ended a podcast yet. Um, and that is with you, Nicola, um, with an oriori that you have from your hapu, from your rohe. But before I hand it over to you, I just wondered if you could explain to those that are listening what an oriori is and what this particular oriori is about. Hi, kia ora. Um, this oriori uh, is a lullaby, and it was a lullaby sang by my tūpuna, Pumari Hone Palmer who uh, was a tohunga rangatira of Ngāti Rehua, Ngāti Wai, um, and he stood alongside our Ngāti Manuhiri tūpuna, Tenatahi Te Riringa and Rahui Te Kiri, in opposition of the Crown um, acquiring Hauturu Ōtoi. And um, in 1886, there were, as Mok said earlier, there were five principal court hearings. And he came to um, the hearings 
and he sang an oriori that speaks of our connections as Ngāti Rehua, Ngāti Manuhiri, Ngāti Wai people to Hauturuo Toi. And through his efforts and the efforts of our Tupuna Tenatahi Rahui and the like, the, uh, the court of the day recognised that it was indeed the Tupunas of Ngāti Wai, Ngāti Rehua and Ngāti Manuhiri who were the true descendants the mana whenua of Hauturu. So it is a lullaby that is sung um, in lament for Hauturu and the potential loss that may occur if the Crown were to remove us from our traditional homeland. Mm. Just before you do sing that for us, I want to thank you both for your kōrero today. Thank you for your time and for sharing uh, such rich kōrero and, and ensuring that we understand the stories, not just the issues, because the stories are so important. Those the names of those ingwa, the name the name, sorry, the ingwa of those motu, the ingwa of those tupuna, um, the stories that come with them are so important for us to get a much greater understanding as to the Modi of the Motu, the Modi of the Moana, and why we should be striving to protect and ensure that the health of those spaces are in such a good space for our tamariki and our mukupuna to come. So, tēnā kōrua. Uh, uh, Nicola, I'll leave it with you. Kia Me piki tawa ki te tihi Oho turu muaya Ki Tama tangi kinehe.